If knowledge is power, blockchain could be the key to unlocking it. It's the technology that's changing the way industries function. That they can do 20% more business and contra contracts with their vendors. Um, and they're projecting savings of over a thousand, I think a thousand two hundred person hours per month. Imagine taking that and creating it over and over again with different uh, supply chain, with different use cases as well. Embracing diversity and giving everyone a chance to have their say. Coming up on Word on the Block, Daniela Barbosa, who is both the general manager at the Linux Foundation and executive director at Hyperledger Foundation, joins in to dive deep into those topics and a whole lot more. are cryptocurrencies, non-fungible tokens, play-to-earn games, even Web3, if they don't have enterprise capabilities? That's the thinking behind Hyperledger Foundation, one of the most important open-source blockchain frameworks for business applications in the real world. But what are they building now amidst this crypto winter and widespread distrust? Welcome to Word on the Block, the series that takes a deeper dive into blockchain and all the emerging technologies that shape our world at the intersection of business, politics, and economy. It's what we cover right here in Forecast News. I'm Forecast Editor-in-Chief Angie Lau. Well, today we are in conversation with Daniela Barbosa, a woman who dons many hats. She is the general manager for Linux Foundation, focusing on blockchain, healthcare, and identity, and also serves as executive director at Hyperledger Foundation. What we're going to learn today is deeper than price moves. Today, we're going to understand the crypto blockchain digital ledger technology from a foundational level. This is not about what's happening right now. It is a conversation of what's going to happen next. Daniela, it's great to have you on the show. It's great to be here, Angie. First, let's get everybody up to speed and have you share the origin story and perception even of Hyperledger from the very beginning. Hyperledger Fabric, a permissioned private blockchain ledger built by IBM. It's not truly decentralized, but what's the difference here, the origin story? Why is it all important? All right. Well, we'll start with first with the Linux Foundation that over the last 20 years has been supporting um, various hundreds right now of different open source uh, technology projects within the Linux Foundation uh, umbrella. Um, and the importance of that is because we truly believe that open source and building these projects that become fundament fundamentally core infrastructure, whether it's the Linux kernel or something like Hyperledger, in how the next uh, generation of financial services, of healthcare services, um, of all different types of enterprise use cases are used, um, and really creating a, an environment where communities can come together, big companies, small companies, governments, individuals, and work on the code um, together is really important, we believe, uh, for building these foundational technologies. Uh, the Hyperledger Foundation since 2016 has been focused very specifically on enterprise blockchain. Um, and even the term enterprise blockchain has changed very much since 2016, as you know, Angie. And I think a lot of it has to do with the community that we've been building and really the maturation 
of the tech itself, of distributed ledgers, of things like digital identity, of obviously, you know, tokenomics and uh, uh, token uh, tokenization of assets, whether it's NFTs or even IP. You know, there's some great use cases um, around that. So we're very excited to be here today to talk to you and your audience about that, uh, because we really believe that by doing things in the open, with open collaboration and more importantly, open governance over the code, um, we really can achieve a lot of the the needs that the, the, our future requires. I do think it is important for the audience to understand the dynamics of how it was started in the first place, because I think it reflects an awareness of what needed to happen and then the world caught up. Uh, and and it also goes back to your uh, you know your co-role at at Linux Foundation, where you know this predates all of the things that we're seeing in blockchain, at least in its current capacity, um, from a more holistic level. And and how are those two combined? So if you think about um, how the market has matured, one of the key, key things that we've always said is there's never going to be one blockchain to rule them all, right? That's number one. And number two, it is a network of networks. It's really important to start thinking about how these networks, uh, whether it's public uh, networks or permission but uh, networks are going to interact with one another, where the requirements around interoperability um, become more important as, once again, these networks become critical to infrastructure. Um, so we've been working very hard in making sure that if uh, organizations and enterprise need, for example, a permissioned distributed ledger uh, uh, protocol that is um, enterprise grade, that has uh, you know long-term ver uh, version support already that has hundreds of, of vendors who can support that technology, that Hyperledger is a place for them to go to. Increasingly, we are seeing even from an industry level with layer two um, being that kind of uh, middle layer that allows the interoperability to exist to also highlight the protocols that they're supporting and or offer alternatives or parallel services or parallel uh, optionality that we are really in a multi-chain world. There is not this concept of one blockchain to rule them all. And yet this evolution of thinking has really um, been accelerated these past couple of years, even since, to your point, uh, December 2015, when Hyperledger Fabric was first launched, and that criticism that, you know, well, how transparent can you be if you're not decentralized? Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, permission networks are um, have utility, um, bring a lot of value to use cases in different consortiums and different networks that have been built. Um, and um, and that's important to understand, right? So, um, and Hyperledger Fabric is one of those permission uh, DLTs and there's others within the Hyperledger Foundation as well. Um, and it's important to understand that there's benefits to that um, while there's also the need for some public permissionless or even hybrid models, right? Where you have perhaps a network that is on a permission network that you have the members of that consortium, for example, um, still needing this decentralized trust, right, with their, which they're getting um, through a, a permission network where it could be hundreds. Um, I'll give you an example. TradeLens is one of the largest uh, trade finance um, uh, blockchain networks. Um, today, it has over 300 different carriers. They're doing billions of transactions right now using Hyperledger Fabric. Um, and it works because they needed this trusted in infrastructure to have that trade finance 
um, in regards to transportation of containers worldwide. Um, and in that use case, uh, a permissioned network um, that scales to their needs is the important part of that technology play. Um, other situations uh, that we're seeing where a permission, a permissionless network is more valuable um, using the, you know, using the different open source methods um, allows them to build that out. Um, so I want to be very clear um, that, you know, at the Hyperledger Foundation, we've always said that um, both permissioned and permissionless networks um, around topics of, of, you know, different use cases um, is important to to be open to um, in, in the marketplace, obviously. In this world, nothing is ever black and white. Uh, the opportunity lies in the gray space. Um, help us understand the, the magnitude um, of the enterprise and the industries that you're working with right now um, from both a permissioned, decentralized, hybrid perspective. We have a couple of, of members in our community um, and different use cases that are really addressing traceability, for example, in um, the electronic uh, manufacturing of batteries for cars, so the EVM industry. Uh, one search company is actually uh, circular, and they've been really doing some um, really advanced ways of looking at mining from, from the mine to that car in your driveway and how it affects, you know, from a sustainability perspective, pulling those minerals out of, and being able to track those minerals that they're not, for example, uh, slave traded minerals, um, that they have requirements from a sustainability perspective and a regulation, right? Um, in the case of Circular, they are using Hyperledger Fabric, um, working with the Oracle blockchain uh, uh, platform as well um, to create that environment of trust between the um, the miners, you know, the, where the, mine, the the materials are coming from, all the way to the consumer. Um, and that is something that uh, a permissioned D uh, DLT is, fits very nicely into because there are checks throughout the, the organization. Um, so supply chain continues to be a use case where uh, we believe that both permissioned and permissionless uh, use cases will continue to, to flourish. We continue seeing you know, reports on efficiency gains that are coming, for example. Um, and, um, and I think that's you know, the important aspect of it. It's not always you know, sexy blockchain uh, yes. stories that people yeah. don't want to hear about, but um, they're actually creating a lot of value in the enterprise space as well. And let's just pick up on the supply chain issues that have confounded, and I use the word confounded because it has been close to two years on now. And, uh, you know, uh, they're, while explicable at the beginning of COVID, um, why are there still issues now? And, and I wonder, you know, with the teams that are uh, using this technology, how is it being applicable uh, right now in the real world to supply chain issues? Are we going to see improvement? Are more people, more industries, more companies thinking about this? Um, what is the rate of adoption when it comes to supply chain uh, and blockchain? There's a lot of use cases that people actually don't want to talk about the fact that they're building it, uh, these um, these networks using distributed ledger technology because of kind of, sort of the negativity around some of the crypto and blockchain as a crypto uh, source. So um, examples, obviously, the, the longest, longstanding and probably the biggest uh, network out there is the Walmart 
Food Trust um, uh, platform. So uh, Food Trust is now being used by many major brands, uh, Nestle, uh, for example, Costco, Walmart, for, for sure, if there's a recall on a specific um, uh, vegetable. Um, and once again, you know, people laugh about that all the time. But if it was your family who was being affected by something that they ate wrong and you could have saved them or you could have efficiently, you know, saved a, a retail store from lots of issues around, you know, selling bad produce, for example, you would care about that, right? Um, and and that's important to, to know. Um, and I mentioned the um, uh, trade, you know, the trade finance uh, use case. A lot of this is really about the digitalization, you know, digitizing the content. If you imagine, there are still people going to ports all over the world with big stacks of paper. Um, trying to get their shipment into that boat that then travels across the seas and through there has, to, you know, could potentially be hundreds of people touching that paperwork. Um, we do hope that things like regulatory requirements that are being put into place um, in the U.S. around supply chain uh, traceability um, will hopefully help both the digital transformation of these supply chains and the applications of distributed ledger as a way for people to be able to track those shipments, for example, as a way for people to trust one another um, as they go through the process, and also as a way to finance um, some of these smaller suppliers who have been unable to um, to move into you know modern transformation because they can't afford it by being able to maybe get money faster in their pockets. When we can talk about efficiencies that reduce maybe days, you know, uh, from from those paper documents to potentially milliseconds, uh, when people can get paid, meaning a business can actually stay in business rather than gamble on, you know, capital needs, pay roll, and what it anticipates in terms of uh, how you know how people are going to get payments to them. All of this really matters. Hey, we talked about permissioned to decentralize, and then we talked about uh, you know real use cases and the the digitalization impact. There is this perception, crypto, blockchain. You know, there's this there's there's the headline after headline after headline that focuses on a lot of scary volatility, uh, some projects that have blown up, uh, wealth being destroyed. So I want to talk about the foundational stuff. How do you build a foundational uh, layer that is so critical to the business amidst this bearish sentiment? Mm-hmm. Well, I think, you know, to, to your point around um, ROI, for example, on why, you know, why are people using distributed ledger technologies um, when they could potentially just use a centralized database that might be much cheaper and easier to deploy and they have experts in-house already. Um, but I'll give you an example of a large Japanese company, Hitachi, um, who have been active contributors to our code bases. Um, they're actually made up of 173 companies within the Hitachi brand. Um, and they do business in over 100 countries with close to 400,000 employees worldwide, right? Now, that is a large business. And what they've seen is by applying a blockchain specifically for a paperless procurement solution in-house, um, they've actually seen a 20% increase in contract cases being managed by one division. So that means that they can do 20% more business and contra- contracts with their vendors. Um, and they're projecting savings of over 1,000 I think 1,200 person hours per month, which then can 
can take that savings and apply those people to other, um, you know, other valuable, high value resources as well. Um, so those are the kind of scale things that we're seeing. Now, Hitachi is one company with hundreds and you know thousands of vendors, obviously, throughout it. So it impacts that network. Um, imagine taking that and creating it over and over again with different uh, supply chain, with different use cases as well. And I think we see these all, you know, all the time internally when these large multinational, you know, come uh, do value. So as you apply those principles to even, you know, multi uh, uh, networks, then I think that you could see the value uh, changes there. Yeah, 100 uh, percent. I want to talk about cryptocurrencies here. They're still the most popular application of blockchain technology. And so inevitably, when the crypto market is suffering, so does the entire blockchain space. Uh, and the recent crypto bear market resulted in a cascade of liquidations that brought a lot of companies like Celsius to the brink of failure. Uh, there's insolvency issues with Three Arrow Capital as they're unable to repay their lenders. How do you see these failing crypto companies, uh, these firms, uh, affecting the mainstream trust in crypto and by default blockchain? You know, we've always said since 2016 that, you know, Bitcoin was the killer app you know, blockchain app to build on top of it. And since then, there's been obviously lots of, you know, different coins and different ecosystems that have developed as well. Um, for us here at Hyperledger, we were here in 2017 and 2018 during the ICO craze and then the afterwards of the ICO, you know, dump as well. And that winter, you know, that crypto winter was a really another time for our community to put our heads down and continue working on building the hard tech that once again is going to power a lot of the future infrastructure from financial services, for example, whether you're talking about CBDCs, central bank digital currencies, stable coins, or other types of technology that really will uh, become core infrastructure. Um, and public blockchains, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and others are doing open development, right, in the open. So they are open source. You can download the code. You can take a look, a, a look at the code that are powering these networks um, because they understand understand that open source motivates higher quality code, right? Because you could open source anything, put it on GitHub and say, hey, now it's open source. But how do you really democratize the contributions of that open source, that governance? How is that governed? Can anyone come in and participate and rise themselves to a level that they can become maintainers and contributors? Um, and that, I think that's really important. And one of the things that um, I believe intersects very closely with the crypto world is that everybody understands um, that open source is needed. And the Linux Foundation can help you know, build out that education requirements around the governance of that open source. And how do you build truly democratic um, open source communities so that we are not in a, a, a place again where uh, the same people are making the same mistakes over and over again? Um, so I think that's a really important aspect of, uh, of our focus at the Linux Foundation and uh, particularly at Hyperledger as well. Point of distinction and, and point of clarification, perhaps, is how do you define open source versus a decentralized project where actually the code is for everybody to contribute to on GitHub? You could be anybody. How do you define open source? For us here at the Hyperledger Foundation, at the Linux Foundation, it is not about just saying, uh, you know, this code is open and everyone can participate, but actually creating those pathways 
to becoming a contributor and to participating. Because um, once again, if you don't do that and you don't do that through community building, when you don't do that through having inclusive uh, practices of bringing people in, um, you're going to get to a point where um, the same people, right, the same amount of people are creating the code and governing the code and pushing that out. So I think it's really important to think through, you know, um, and I just listened to a, a podcast recently where uh, Christine Lagarde um, at the European Central Bank was talking about the need for even at the economics level, right, having, for example, women's voices um, and, you know, you know, asking women to become economists, to become developers and becoming part of the process um, as opposed to just standing by and waiting for these uh, these new systems to be developed. So I think diversity and um, and really focusing on open governance and the pathways to get to the participation of these codes um, is going to be the most important thing going forward for us. And uh, for everyone, diversity is critical. If we're talking about the future, you know, the future that you're building right now uh, in this current environment, the crypto winter that has a lot of people distracted about the falling down events. But what are you building up and the importance of diversity voices, perspectives and contributions to what you are currently building that are the future winners when this market returns? Um, one is on digital identity. Um, so, you know, since early 2017, we at the Hyperledger Foundation um, have really focused on making sure that um, digital identity uh, projects are really privacy, you know, privacy first um, and really self-sovereign, right? It's about the ownership of the digital identity to have the end user or the user themselves uh, control that. Um, so we have many projects, Hyperledger uh, Aries, uh, Hyperledger Indy, um, and others um, that really are focusing on making sure that the technology um, is um, is going to be able to give us that uh, um, you know decentralized identity that I think is needed. Just like you know, there's not going to be one blockchain to rule them all. There's going to be a lot of approaches that uh, will get adopted. But we're seeing governments, specifically governments in Europe, for example, and in Canada, leading the way um, in participating and actually contributing even to these code bases. So we have uh, code contributions from the government of Canada and from European uh, states. Um, where they want to make sure that these uh, digital identity um, code bases continue to expand and meet the needs of their regulated requirements from a digital identity perspective. So I think that that one is number one. And if you tie digital identity to money, um, things like central bank digital currencies or CBDCs become really important. And we've been supporting uh, central banks uh, since 2017. Um, for example, the Boston Fed and the Bank of England, the Monetary Authority of Singapore, and many others have been part of the Hyperledger community in understanding open source development once again, because that's our focus, um, and how to go about doing that with distributed ledger technologies. Um, central bank digital currencies have been adopted um, in experimentation as well as in production. We believe uh, here at the Linux Foundation and Hyperledger that there's many approaches that can be taken for central bank digital currencies. We've seen experimentations, for example, uh, the Eastern Central Bank, uh, the Bank of France, Thailand, um, Nigeria. So um, the Bank of Nigeria have a production-based distributed ledger 
project that uses hyperledger fabric. Uh, Cambodia, one of the first uh, CBDCs that went to uh, public with their retail CBDC, um, that really is um, helping kind of a, a community that needs to have more access to their money and being able to distribute that. Um, so we're seeing really across the, the country, across the world, implementations of central bank digital currencies. Another powerful thing that I think you're building out is uh, version one of the Hyperledger Firefly. This is the first super node to uh, supercharge, if you will, the development of uh, Web3 enterprise applications like DeFi, like Metaverse. Foundationally, what do you hope to build right now in terms of the technology architecture and what will it support in your view 12, 18, 24 months from now? So Hyperledger Firefly is one of those new projects within the Hyperledger Foundation. And I think that it's really important to understand that, um, you know, from a tokenization perspective, um, if we're talking about NFTs and different types of digital assets, um, that many enterprises and many use cases um, are going to want to build on top of that layer of uh, distributed ledgers or blockchains. So Firefly, for example, um, supports multiple DLT, both public and permission. So it supports, for example, um, uh, Ethereum, the mainnet Ethereum. Um, it also supports Fabric. It also supports um, other Quorum, for example, the Go Quorum client. Um, so really understanding how um, the enterprise and use cases are. Um, when it comes to uh, Web3 um, and the metaverse, um, still the core uh, point that I made before around digital identity uh, becomes something that we want to make sure um, that it is addressed um, in many of these use cases uh, as well. Final question. It, amidst this market, who's funding? Who's funding these projects right now? If markets or projects that depend on token sales, that depend on um, a, a mass uh, adoption for liquidity, who is actually funding these projects right now? And is that a concern for you? Um, I say this all the time. You could build the most beautiful code in the open. Um, if you don't have use cases and a commercialization of those use cases, someone that can support um, enterprises in deploying them, um, you're not going to have a successful project and a successful technology. Um, so for us, it's really important to make sure that um, our members and our community that fund the development and the work that happens and the community building that happens in Hyperledger Foundation um, are a nice mix of, uh, once again, the public sector. So you want to have have that advocacy from the public sector within the community, but also, you know, large um, and mid-sized uh, companies and system integrators, for example. Um, so we just announced Infosys as one of our newest members in the Hyperledger Foundation. Um, they've been supporting Hyperledger use cases for many years, but they understand um, the value of contributing as a member and contributing to the funds that fund the open source development of these code bases as well. Um, so um, really, you know, end user companies as well. So Walmart, for example, and FedEx, who want to have a voice of leadership um, funding the development of, of code bases here at Hyperledger, I think is really important as well. It's not just paying membership fees for a foundation, but actually putting employees um, to help develop and contribute and grow the ecosystem there. Every voice matters. And I thoroughly enjoyed you uh, sharing your open source thinking. 
uh, with us at Forecast and our audience um, absolutely shows the importance foundationally of what's being built right now. And thanks for letting us peek under the hood a little bit. Danielle, it was a pleasure. Pleasure is all mine. Thank you so much. And thank you, everyone, for joining us on this latest episode of Word on the Block. It was great to have you here. I'm Angie Lau, Forecast Editor-in-Chief. Until next time. 